from the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. One, two, three. I did it on purpose. Do it again. Uh, you did? Yeah, I was way out here. You didn't notice. No, I was looking at him. Oh, my elbows. Okay, <laughs> it's the tiny house. Okay, now podcast. they're just fucking with me. Yeah. Uh-huh. We are. The clapathon. Uh, yeah. Michael, we were gr- I was bragging the last show how I finally figured out how to uh how to how to perfect our clap. So uh Michael's oh, not on the show yet. Oh yeah. <laughs> what are we listening to? I don't know. <laughs> Listeners? I don't know. It's the tiny it's house the podcast. podcast. <laughs> I'm Perry. <laughs> I'm Mark. I'm MJ. <laughs> and we're all messed up. Oh. <clears throat> Here we are on yet another show. Welcome, everybody. Taking the perfection to a whole, whole new, level. new level. Yes, indeed. Hey, you know, every once in a while, we got to do that, though, because we got we to gotta make our listeners listen. Mm-hmm. We got to mix it more up. more intently, right? It's like it. watching a, a derby, you know, a crash derby. Yeah, whatever, the, you know. the... What's it called? What are those called? The, not the funny cars, the cars, wreck the, into each other. What yeah. is that? Um, Michelle, what is that? Derby, derby. Demolition. Just wait for the wrecks. Yes, you just wait for the wrecks. Our listeners just wait for something to be good. Yes, because there's so much bad. <laughs> just wreckage all the time. Exactly. Speaking of wreckage, I'm just yes. Um, so I, <clears throat> I want to talk a moment about UFOs. Whoa. Are they tiny? <laughs> yeah, they're all right. tiny. Tiny so, UFOs. Unidentified flying object. Yeah, I watched a, do- a documentary over the weekend about the whole global, apparently, UFO conspiracy and not conspiracy. The cover-up. The number of countries that have recorded and investigated yet kept under wraps. The amount of UFO sightings across the world is phenomenal. Is that surprising to you? It's not surprising. It's just, what's, what's, I guess what's surprising, it's not even surprising. It's like no duh kind of that they're finally starting to acknowledge that, yeah, there are, you know, you, you, there are visitors from other places visiting this planet and we don't know what they are. But wait a minute, you said that they were engaged in a cover-up, but then you said they finally got around us admitting that, yes, there is. So Yeah, it's, it's like they, they admit that, that they've, been covering, they've been covering it up, and they admit that they exist, and they have not, they still have information that they're not willing to divulge. And the concern is that people, they're afraid that people are going to panic. And I was reading actually this morning when Mark came into the studio, this document from our C, uh, National Security Administration that that described in pretty good detail how people respond to experiences like that. And one of the things it was talking about was <clears throat> the nature of an alien invasion and what would happen because people have, when people are confronted by something that's totally outside their perspective, these certain biological things happen that cause people to be susceptible to that sort of thing hmm. and so if there was an alien invasion we'd be screwed because so many people would be freaking out in this particular way right that we would not be able to recover yeah they wouldn't be yeah that's true it's i would imagine that's true yeah hmm. and i guess the same could be said for check out this segue <laughs> for the tiny house <laughs> the tiny house people tiny house <laughs> movement because when people of the mainstream the people in still if i may say it this way based on our interview last the last show still stuck in the bubble of the American dream, um, when they see someone 
living in a tiny house or in a bus conversion, it's an alien experience. It's almost like a close encounter of the third kind. And people are like, what the fuck is this person doing living in a school bus? And how could that school bus be so pretty on the inside? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm speaking specifically about our guest today, Michael F., (laughs) who has one of the most beautiful school buses I've ever seen. Not that I'm discounting the fact that it's painted olive drab and I used to be in the Marine Corps, but the (laughs) the interior, he's laughing, the interior, it looks like it was designed by a woman. I know, isn't it pretty? It's so beautiful. I mean, he's got frilly curtains and everything. And so I'd like to welcome Michael to the show. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. <laughs> was that your real voice? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was trying to think, man, everyone always thinks it's uh, all drab because I have some connection to the military, but I just simply just like the color. <laughs> it's beautiful. And the interior is even more beautiful. I mean, the it, it's almost, it seems like you either have a, have a, a girlfriend with a cool aesthetic eye or you hired a graphic, a, an interior designer to design your, your bus. Yeah, I, I get that a lot. I always say that uh, a girl didn't help me design it, but if you know where the girl is that could help me design it, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I simply just came up with a bunch of ideas and, and kind of just ran with it. But, uh, you know, uh, I did have some help from, you know, some friends and some opinions and some polls, but... Uh, yeah, for the most part, it just kind of came together. Wow. Looks it, beautiful. It is beautiful. Uh, and I love, I love the, I think it was on your website where I saw you, um, you engaging with something on a cutting board and the knife you were using was actually an ax. Was that you? <laughs> yeah, that was me. Yeah. I was, uh, at that time I was chopping up some chaga uh, oh, ch- tea. Yeah. And uh, I didn't have any tools in the bus that would really cut it because it's, it's a pretty hard substance. And, uh, yeah, the option was use the ax or I guess just soak it in some hot water, but you know, gotta use what you gotta have when you're there. <laughs> Absolutely. I've got a friend in Finland who, uh, who has his own chaga farm. And this is the first time in the U S that I've heard the word chaga. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I heard it's the it. first time I've even heard it. Oh, you really? could have told me, you, you could have said it was anything at all. And I would have believed you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Michael, are you a hippie at heart? Uh, I don't really think so. I, I just aspire to just kind of travel and, and kind of just cruise around, but also use that to be able to allow me to work as hard as I can at the things I want to. And what are those things that you want to work hard at? Uh, I mean, right now I've been just been working, working really hard at, I don't know, just meeting people, trying to just meet up with old friends, um, I work online doing some online teaching. Uh, I work online doing some website and computer stuff, which because I live on my school bus, I can just put all of my effort into that rather than having to worry about maybe mowing a lawn or, I don't know, taking care of a house and things. I can kind of, you know, minimize everything that's within my life so that I can really just kind of go after the things I desire. It's the, it's the house version of wearing the same t-shirt and jeans every day as opposed to having yeah. a... Yeah, a wardrobe mm-hmm. full of colorful clothes. What are your workshops about, Michael? My what? Sorry, your workshops. Oh, online teaching. Uh, teaching. Oh, okay. Oh yeah. So what I teach, I so I teach uh, like anthropology courses. I used to be in grad school um, and do some teaching there uh, be previously before living in a school bus. So I use my graduate degrees to pick up online courses 
uh, just around the country. Very cool. He's a smart hippie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard that you have you have the high <laughs> that high education certification nomenclature paraphernalia <laughs> memorabilia. <laughs> I'm just throwing out these words. <laughs> Very head shop of you too. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah so you you okay so you use this you're leveraging your education somehow mm-hmm. to attract students that are willing to listen to what you talk about in the fields of study that you are degreed in. Sure. Yeah. I use, I use my experience as much as possible when talking to students or if I'm speaking at a college or if I'm just talking to students uh, on a you know, more informal basis. I think my experiences in living in a school bus and traveling the country and meeting and building community all relate back to anthropology and just trying to experience a little bit more in depth, the like diversity within all of North America now that I've traveled. So I really feel like my travels and my lifestyle really add to um, that part of my life. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I can bring in those real life experiences rather than just maybe coming from a textbook. Yeah. Last time you and I um, chatted, you were indicating to me that you had received or were about to receive invitations to go speak at colleges in regard to the tiny house lifestyle. Um, have you done yeah. that yet? Uh, no, that's supposed to be scheduled uh, the first week of the semester. Uh, so I'd be like January, I think it's January 11th to the 15th they're scheduling it, but I'll be speaking um, in Pennsylvania at Messiah College to a group of students. Um, they're trying to see exactly what students right now will be attending, but I know right now they're trying to get their engineering students to come in to talk to me uh, about how I design my school bus necessarily for road safety and road use, uh, which they also are pretty pretty interested in with the tiny house movement necessarily with trailers, which I have less experience with. Um, but I'm going to be speaking to them about school bus conversions uh, and, you know, how to take a school bus, put a bunch of stuff in it, change the weight up and how to still make it roll down the road in a safe way. Right. So that will be a bit of what I'm doing there. Um, they also have interest in me possibly speaking to students just about the lifestyle and what I do and kind of how my alternative living can, you know, be a possibility for students who are in college today and that they don't necessarily have to just graduate and, you know, go get an apartment and start spending a whole bunch of money and, (laughs) you know, uh, doing the normal thing and that there's other options out there. My kids are trying to talk me into building them each a tiny house. And I'm like, I will build yours when I'm done with mine. Actually, that's, that's not a very bad (laughs) idea. If you, if they'd be willing to pitch in with you, they could learn a skill. They could end up with a house and, and maybe they could even live on the little piece of property that you have. That you rent to them. Yes. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, uh, Michael, let's talk timeline. Um, so, what? how old are you? When did you graduate college? How did you find the tiny house movement? Um, talk a little bit about what what brought you to where you is. You're yeah, more, I'm uh, not very educated. I feel like every time I get asked this question, I always have to think back and say, I have no clue how I ended up where I am. <laughs> um <laughs> But uh, I graduated my undergrad in 2013, and I immediately went into graduate school and finished graduate school in 2013. Um, And really what drew me to this lifestyle during that time period was actually my living situation while I was in grad school. Uh, I was living, and I think it was probably, I mean, 60 to maybe 80 square feet little room. Um, And I just loved living in that space and having everything I owned in that space and maximizing that little, that little dorm room. Mm. And when I actually moved home after graduate school, 
I moved into my parents' basement like a typical college graduate, and that basement was huge. And I could not fill every space in that basement functionally, and it just drove me mad. Um, and that's kind of what started making me think in terms of, you know, living small, but also my background in anthropology was driving me to want to travel, experience, um, and meet people. So I kind of just married the two with looking into the tiny house movement and, and seeing the idea of mobility and travel and freedom, along with allowing me to go after the desires that I was speaking of before. Um, a school bus was not my first choice, <laughs> actually. Um, I originally was looking into tiny houses and building one on a trailer. Uh, but it just, for me, it wasn't really what was going to suit my needs because I just, I really desired to travel a whole bunch. Um, I previously did a lot of trips in my car and that, that was comfortable to me. I didn't think that I could really tow a trailer effectively. Um, the amount of miles that I wanted to do, uh, at the time. So that's where I ended up with a school bus because I figured, Hey, engines attached to the wheels, everything's inside, just turn on the engine and go. Mm -hmm. So it's, so I want to, I want to tie in your answer to Michelle's question with your education. So, um, give me kind of like the anthropology, uh, perspective of the tiny house movement. And what, what do you, what do you see as like the, the, the migration or I'm speak, trying to speak anthropologically, even though I have no degree in that. Field. What's it going to mean in a hundred years? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, in like what was, what was the movement? Mm -hmm. What, what do you, what is the significance of the movement ex, of, of civilization expressed by the tiny house movement? And where do you see it going in the future as it coincides with like climate change and all the other things going on on the planet? Sure. Um, yeah, I think, I think, uh, a good way to explain, I'll, I'll use some of my experience um, during my graduate thesis, when I started thinking in this way, when my graduate thesis was on homeless communities. Um, so I spent a good bit of time with um, people living on the streets, people living in homeless shelters, um, people living in, you know, subsidized housing and, and so on and so forth. Um, and I think spending so much time with them during uh, that research period of my life, you know, I think tied in a lot to the tiny house movement because it was a group of people that, um, were living alternatively than what people thought. Um, they, they had less than what people think you would need. Yet I found that, um, this, this group of people were, you know, I don't want to say surviving in the sense of, you know, flourishing, but, um, their, their basic needs are being met in a lot of ways by nonprofit organizations, church organizations, government organizations, um, and, and leading into the tiny house movement where people are seeing the need for less, um, or the need to maximize what they want more. Um, I think that tied in a lot with the way that I was going in my research in graduate school. Um, and then looking at the tiny house movement, seeing that, you know, these have relations with, you know, how people relate to the economy and, and how people relate to, uh, family and community and, and, in all these different ways that people are just seeking, it seems to, um, you know, live more and spend less time within um, the craziness of society and the craziness of, of the, you know, keep up with the Joneses kind of attitude. Um, and that's where I think I meet a lot of people who are within the tiny house movement, which really has been more recently, the last couple of months for me, um, attending different festivals and, and just, you know, traveling and meeting up with people. Um, you know, it just seems like everyone's just really looking to have a fulfilled life. Um, and not necessarily have to do it the way that everyone expects you have to do it. 
Um, I mean, most of the students that I work with don't know I live in a school bus. <laughs> they think that I'm just some professor sitting in a house with a computer, and I'm actually living in a school bus traveling the country, um, probably teaching every course from a different state, and they have you know no clue that that's even an option um, in terms of ideas and direction. It's interesting because I, uh, your answer is really interesting because the, the, the people who I have come into contact with just out on the street talking about careers and the future it, it mirrors what you just said. The, the kids that I've spoken with, including my stepdaughter and my son, have talked, about, talked in a way that they see no other option other than going through college, coming out with massive debt, and then getting a job, even though they see their the generation just before them crippled through that mm-hmm. path, through that path and so it's it's like is i wonder if there is going to be a moment and mark and i have talked about this in the past when the housing crisis was going on before we knew about the tiny house mm-hmm. movement in fact it may have been even before the tiny house movement began the the new the, big the renaissance uptick, of it. Yeah. yeah um it, it's like what are is there going to be a moment where society triggers kind of a massive movement into tiny house living or is this just anthropologic anthropologically or is this just a fad (laughs) on the fringes yeah what do you think uh i I sure hope so i think i think that people are looking for ways to get into the economy uh for me uh i mean i'm I'm 25 so coming out of school with with college debt i didn't have a way to get into the housing market i didn't have a way to get into you know, an apartment with a first and last and things like that. Cause I'm, I'm coming out of school with debt. I'm coming out of school with, um, you know, restrictions and kind of entering into this, you know, high housing market for at least my age group. So for me, my solution was to go tiny. My solution was to own my own school bus. My, you know, I own that thing out outright and it's my asset, just like maybe you have a house as an asset. Um, and that was my way to essentially enter into a lower market in the housing market and still live just as happily and do what I love. And I think that I, I, I always, I hope that, um, you know, people of my generation or even maybe younger who are looking, you know, looking forward might see that as a way that you don't have to buy a $200,000 house or, or anything to, you know, be happy. It is possible to spend less and be happier um, and not have to tie yourself down with, you know, expenses. Uh, the amount of the amount of people that I graduated with college that, you know, I saw get an apartment, buy a brand new car, you know, and have the job. And at the end of the month, they're, you know, they have more bills than they know what to do with it. it you know, I think people are starting to realize that, you know, that's not necessarily has to be the way you do things. Yeah. So I think what you're asking about Perry is mm-hmm. sort of a sociological tipping point. Um, you were, I think you called it a trigger sort of like when will the, society actually trigger on a weather, mass whether whether or not, not oh. like it's deterministic but it, it conditional more. right right so this week actually sprout homes um just announced a two uh 29 million dollar contract to build 275 tiny houses um mm-hmm. for one you know for one contract for one customer and whenever i see numbers like that and companies like that doing these huge projects i always think that is that like that's the indicator that's the indicator that this is not a fad that this is truly a psychological or a sociological change that we're that, and also when the corp- huge corporations spend a ton of money um california closets for instance you know they're they're spending money and and um 
buying tiny houses to travel all over the I country. I did not know that. Yeah. So, hmm. so um, would you agree? What are the indicators, Michael? What are the indicators that the sociological, shall we say, tipping point has or has not arrived? When, as I understand it, um, anthropologically, things actually move pretty slowly, kind of like glaciers. So, um, is there a tipping point? Do you think it's come? If not, um, where do you see it? Yeah, I, I don't think it has come um, in terms of the, the, the point where, you know, uh, tiny homes, I, I mean, I become mainstream, I guess, in a way where it's, it's, it's an option right next to buying a house, uh, a traditional living. Uh, I do think that it is a slow thing. I think it's a slow, it's a slow moving movement in terms of really catching the eye of people. I think, I think a lot of people still see, um, you know, the tiny house movement as something that they see distance from themselves. It's not something that they think, you know, maybe they can jump right into right now, but I would, I mean, with the people that I've met and the companies that are building them and, and, you know, just the people I've come in contact in the last, you know, couple months myself, I mean, I would see that coming in the next coming years. I don't see it going away. Um, I don't think the tiny house movement is going to fade out in two years. Um, you know, and just be like, we're all going to remember it as, oh, remember that time a bunch of people wanted to live in small homes on a trailer. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think, I think that it's, it's becoming more and more of a viable option for people. Um, and, and yeah, I think, I think it's slow, but I think, it, I think it's still going to be coming. I think the tipping point will be when, um, you know, large, just, just large companies, large real estate companies start taking, you know, these options seriously, when people start going to look for a home and instead of asking the real estate agent for a four, you know, a four house, a uh, four bedroom house, you know, with a nice kitchen and three, you know, three bathrooms, you know, when people start saying, you know, Hey, do you have any options in tiny houses? And that's another option in real estate, just in, within the general market. I think that that would be, you know, the moment where essentially people then have to start taking it seriously. The real estate markets have to start taking it seriously um, because that's what people want then. Um, they're not just looking for the traditional style homes um, in that way. And I, I hope that comes, um, you know, sooner than later, because I think people could really benefit from what they don't even know is in front of them. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you, I think you had mentioned, I, I'm getting the guests mixed up, but I think, Mike, <laughs> Michael, you mentioned having not to have to worry about cutting the grass. Did, did you mention? Yeah. That? Yeah. And so yeah. It, it's like, I know that, I know that feeling. It's like, I live in my wife's house and I, purposefully did not want to be put on the title um, because I did not want the responsibility of home maintenance, having owned several houses in the past. And mm -hmm. I just watch her when she's not working, having to manage that household. And it's so much work compared to like living in a tiny house where you don't have all of that stuff that you have to maintain all the time. It just seems like a much... Yeah. Peace, much more peaceful, much more, much less stressful way of living. Sure. When, when people, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love, I love doing yard work at times when I travel, I stop and help people do yard work. I'll pick up side work doing it. It's just a matter of, um, I think when it becomes, you know, it, it, when it becomes, you know, every, every Tuesday you have to cut the lawn after work, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, it, it, it's a little different than, you know, enjoying, enjoying the land, enjoying nature, you know, enjoying tilling a garden. Like those are things that you're then enjoying. It's no longer a chore. Yeah. You, you enjoy doing the garden. You don't have to do the garden. Um, you know, I think those are really big differences in the way people view, you know, yard work. Like, um, you know, 
being forced to do these chores because we own large homes with large properties, um, you know, is I think much different than, you know, the joy of doing something um, for the sake of doing it. Yeah. I think we all agree that the housing um, bubble, the, the, the housing crisis, the mortgage crisis in 2008, 2009 mm-hmm. was definitely um, helped to uh, regenerate interest in tiny houses, which already existed, but it really was a, was a major change, sociological change that, that gained. I think that the next thing, the next quote unquote financial bubble to burst is going to be the school loans, um, the student loans. Um, after 2008, so many people couldn't get jobs. They all went back to school and took out these massive, you know, these massive student loans. And I think the government was somewhat irresponsible um, in their, you know, in their finance, just like the mortgage industry was irresponsible with the mortgages. Um, so it's interesting. We talk about people that are interested in tiny houses and I call them bookends, right? There's the there's the baby boomers that are going to retire and there's also young people that want to um, pay off their student loans faster or something. So to what a couple of questions, to what extent did your... Um, does your student loan prompt this decision as opposed to just not comfortable with big spaces? To what extent is it a financial decision for you? And number two, what do you think of the uh, your peers or the younger generation that's actually looking at these huge six-figure loans and how are they going to, what are you hearing from them? Yeah. Um, I mean, in terms of me living in my school bus, uh, space was definitely a huge part of it, but I think financial you know, I think being honestly, like that's a huge part for a lot of people, a lot of people that I know that are also living on the road or living in tiny homes. I think the financial side is huge. My student loans are a burden to me. Um, I'm thankful I went to school. The education has gotten to me where I am. Um, it's, it's definitely taught me, um, to be the person I am and and everything. But in terms of finances, living tiny is how I can survive, um, financially. I mean, I don't have, um, property tax. I don't have, you know, uh, a landlord, I don't have rent every month. Um, because I built my school bus and I built it myself, I own my bus. I, you know, all I have is my bus insurance. Um, I have my gas bill, which is, you know, optional because I I can choose to drive as far as I want every month. Um, I'm on, I'm off the grid on solar. Um, I have water tanks, so I don't have any real utility bills per se, because I can get free water and electricity is free on my, my solar panels. Um, so, I mean, all those things have, have brought my expenses so low that my student loans are essentially, you know, not even a big deal anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that was that was huge for me because um, I knew that my loans were a, a responsibility that I needed to take care of and I needed to find a way to do it. So, you know, my question was, how can I travel? How can I go after the things that I desire to do and still have student loans? Um, and, and I mean, it, that's what I'm doing. I mean, that's it's possible. Um, a lot of my friends, uh, you know, they most, I mean, my, my college roommates, um, they're, they're working full-time jobs. Um, they, you know, they have an apartment, they, you know, they do what, you know, a lot of us would think of as the typical thing. Um, and, and they do enjoy it. That's, that's what they see and find joy in. Um, but there's definitely a financial burden that I, that I don't think that they can see. They could be more free than they think. Um, they don't have to be tied down the way that they are. Um, they always say to me, like, how do you travel so much? How are you, how are you in a different state every month? <laughs> and, you know, y- you could be too. Uh, you know, it's not, it's a matter of, you know, 
buckling down and, and really looking at your finances and, and straightening it all out. Um, I actually, um, spoiler alert to anyone who, you know, sees me on social media or anything. Um, I'm having a new roommate come on the bus in t- uh, two to three weeks. My one roommate actually just quit his job and is moving on the bus with me um, for a while. Wow. Uh, to just kind of start doing exactly what I just explained. Just kind of re, you know, refocus life, refocus finances, and just try to, you know, figure out something new. Because he kind of, I, you know, I'll talk to him more. But I just kind of sick of the rat race, sick of you know, um, spending his days working for someone else. Uh, you know, and, and then coming home and just all that money's already gone. Uh, so yeah, I think that I've seen it even in my roommates, you know, in, in terms of coming, coming full circle and seeing the benefits of possibly living tiny. It's, it's funny you describe it that way, Michael, because there's there, it's questionable for some of those people, whether or not they're happy with their apartment and their job and all mm-hmm. the things that they're doing. And some of that happiness <clears throat> wears off at some point and they end up doing things like going tiny or, or quitting their job and putting a backpack on and traveling the world for a couple of years till their money runs out or some way to do what you've been able to do in a much more sustainable way. And so Mm -hmm. it's not to knock the people who are still in that space um, because everyone is moving along their own path and their own journey. Um, Mm -hmm. But I guess the positive thing that could be said is at least they've got boyfriends and girlfriends. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, it's not, it's not easy when you're in a different state every month. Well, that, well that's the thing. And, and some, of the, some of the challenges early. And not Bryce. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, some, some of the people we interviewed early on at the beginning of our podcast, we're talking about the guys, we're talking about how hard it is to convince a girl to go out with them when they find out they're living in a tiny house because it's not the... Machismo. It's, yeah, it's it's not the success that the society has bred women to, to look for in men. Oh, sure. I mean, I, I totally agree with that. I, I think that um, you know, I there's a there's a meme that goes around that uh that's a picture of a school bus and it says, um, I own my I own a Mercedes and I own my own home. And uh I, I figure that's gonna be the first thing I say to the girl that I end up dating's father because uh my bus has a Mercedes engine and I live in my school bus and I own it. Um but that's you know, that's just you know, i think that's just the reality that you know, I think for me personally, you know, if I do meet someone or if I don't, I mean my lifestyle I don't plan on adjusting. Yeah. Um I would hope that, you know, I, I can continue doing this. I mean, I, I, you know, anyone out there, I plan on living on a school bus with kids. I plan on having them adventure um, with the lifestyle. I want to be a present parent. And I think living on a school bus, living tiny, I mean, especially since I work remote, I, you know, I would be with my kids 24 seven. And I, you know, I, I just really want to appreciate that lifestyle rather than going to work for eight hours and coming home and having the, you know, in, you know, discipline the kids because you know wait till dad gets home kind of thing like well dad's always going to be home so we're going to do this together um and i think that may not be normal for people to think i don't think that that's you know what every person out there is thinking that's the lifestyle i want um so it's hard to portray that to people i mean my parents don't sure don't understand all the time my mom sure doesn't understand all the time (laughs) um but you know i i think it's a reality and uh, in, in what I'm choosing to do. We're going to get to your mom in a second, but Michelle has a question. <laughs> That's we'll get you a totally mama. fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
I think that this year, I think the past, you know, nine or 10 months almost feels like the year of the schoolie mm-hmm. in the tiny house industry and the tiny house <laughs> movement. Um, going back to my first event this past year was in Georgia. And um, every, I feel like every tiny house event, almost every tiny house event I've been to um, in the past 11 or 10 months or so um, has what they call the schoolyard, mm-hmm. right? And that's where all the schoolies kind of hang out. And it has kind of, it has a very different vibe. So my question for you is, um, what do you find you that, that school bus that schoolies have in common with the tiny house movement? And what do you think are the differences? Yeah, I think in common, I think the people that are in, inside the schoolie movement, um, I think the ideas behind the movement are, are, are similar. Um, you know, for instance, a lot of people that I know live in school buses. They're, they're going after the idea of mobility or the idea of simplicity uh, in terms of finances, in terms of lifestyle and times of how they spend their days. I think those are similar ideas. Um, but I think differently, I find that the schoolie community um, it is, it, they, I just feel like there are a lot more travelers in, in the sense that not that I don't, I know many people who travel quite a bit in their tiny homes, but it, it almost mixes a lot more with my past in the road community, living in a car, doing a lot of road trips. A lot of the school bus community, I mean, I, I've met up with people in Oregon and then a month later, we're both in Florida. Uh, you know, I meet up with someone in California and I just saw them in New York. Um, and they're just all over the place. And, and I, I think that might be a difference um, where I don't know many people that live in tiny homes that travel quite as much as the school buses. Uh, So I think that there's a different desire with the school buses where people just want to explore a little bit more um, rather than maybe be parked for longer periods of times. It's a lot more maybe um, I don't want to say mobile because I know the tiny homes are mobile and I know quite a few people who have done thousands and thousands of miles. um, But uh yeah, I think there's a mobility aspect of the, the, the schoolie community um, that maybe I haven't experienced as much with the tiny house community. Even some of the people that have tiny houses and are traveling in tiny houses, like Sheena and Ross, are now getting a schoolie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's quite a few people that I've met that are looking towards school buses as an option. I mean, due to the mobility. I mean, my school bus, I don't suggest this to anyone out there, but I took my bus right up through Alaska, right up the Alaskan Highway and took that thing off-roading. Um, but I don't, I wouldn't feel as confident doing that in a, in a, you know, a tiny home towing a trailer. Um, I'm just, I'm not sure how that would hold up compared to a school bus. That's essentially a, a, you know, a truck frame. That thing's, you know, it's solid. It's, it's, (laughs) it's not going anywhere. And it's built to carry little kids. And so I'm sure it's built really rugged and all that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. The metal frames are are pretty rugged. (laughs) So, so back to your, your parents. So what did your what are your, who are your parents? Like, what do they do for a living and what do they think about your, your trajectory? Yeah. My, my dad, um, he is a supervisor for public service. So he works for the utilities, um, back here in Jersey. And my mom likes to call herself a domestic engineer. Um, (laughs) she, she runs the home. Um, and she's, she's done that her whole life and, and has loved, loved doing that. Um, they, they at first, really thought I was, uh, I think they thought I was off my rocker coming out of grad school. Uh, they, you know, coming out of school with a master's degree, um, what they thought would be a pretty, you know, good, uh, career future to come home and then tell them, Hey, I'm, I'm looking into building a tiny home 
was not exactly the answer that they were expecting, which I think goes back to maybe what you were saying before about people's expectations of the movement and expectations of what a successful lifestyle can look like. Um, I think that that was a little hard for them in the beginning, but as I included them in the process of building my school bus, I mean, my dad, you know, essentially, you know, built it right alongside me and helped me along the way. Um, you know, I think that they started to see a little bit more what I was doing and they saw that I wasn't just going to take a mattress and throw it inside a school bus that I wanted to build something that I was proud of something that aesthetically, um, was what I wanted and was going to last, you know, some time. And it wasn't just, you know, me running away from society or, um, me just trying to, you know, not work. Uh, it was, (laughs) they saw it, they saw it as a gateway towards, um, being able to succeed at what, what I wanted to do. Mm. Uh, which is where I think the change started to happen for them, where now they completely support me what I'm doing. And they love telling people that their son lives in a school bus, no matter what the looks afterwards come. <laughs> it's interesting because the, I mean, let's just admit it. When when you hear the word, I, the words, I live in a school bus, the first thing that comes to mind is, to me, is long hair, ganja, a guitar, and a hippie chick. And, so, and a mattress on a yellow a school bus yellow that you haven't bus. even bothered exactly. to paint yeah. or yeah. fix up. Like this unapologetic sort of Boom. I am what I yeah. am kind of a lifestyle. <laughs> but yeah, when, I, I think that's what my parents thought I was going to be doing. <laughs> yeah, but then when you look at yours, it's, it's, almost, it's, it's almost like a beach house chic. It looks like a boat in many ways. Yeah, inside. with some industrial mm-hmm. elements to it. Even mm-hmm. the... Even the railing on the top of the bus, the black, uh, I guess that's galvanized piping or something like that, that the solar mm-hmm. panels are resting on. And I think your, uh, yep. your uh, deck is resting on. Yeah. Yep. Very, very well done. And that, that table on the side, is, is, that a, uh, is that a work table or what is that? Yeah, it's a work table, cook table, bar table. I mean, if you were at the last festival, party table, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, whatever... <laughs> In terms, in terms of like, you know, putting stuff out there, I put, you know, I had chips and stuff out there. I had shirts out there. I had whatever, you know, it could be whatever you want it to be. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, I think the, in designing my bus, I, I wanted to design it for functionality. I wanted to design it so that, you know, that outside table was, it's a bar height. So it's not like a sitting table, it's a standing table. So, um, you know, I can use it for whatever I want. The, the deck up top, it stays up there. People always think it's removable, but it stays up there. And, um, you know, I use that for sightseeing, just sleeping up there because I want to sleep outside, um, hanging up out there. Um, I mean, I think just because you live in a school bus doesn't mean you can't have a rooftop deck. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't mean you can't have outdoor space. Um, I mean, I think, yeah, I think it's a terms of perception of how people see like what you can do with a school bus. Mm-hmm. I mean, people do some pretty crazy things out there. It looks like you have a um, installable railing for that deck up there. Is that right? Uh, no, those yeah, the side racks that people that you can see if you look at photos. Those are actually for racking kayaks and stuff. I don't actually have railings up there. Uh, those are tie down straps. People oh. have to sign a liability form before they, they go get up, up there, on the rooftop. Especially if they're drinking. <laughs> yeah. Although it's a strict, short fall. Strict, strict two drinks. You know, that <laughs> table actually inspired me. I've been trying to um, think of how to put a table and two chairs on my deck. Uh, we're building the deck this week. And mm-hmm. that would be a great way to save space mm-hmm. in, that sort of, in that sort of way to, to attach a slab to the side of the house, add a couple chairs at bar height. That'd be fun. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And I mean, I've done I've done about nineteen thousand miles, and that table doesn't move if you just get it nice and tight with a you know good lock. Mm-hmm. I mean, people always ask you, "Are you worried about that thing flying down while driving?" No. <laughs> sure I don't think about it. <laughs> I'd be worried more about the deck than the table. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I, I was worried until I went to Alaska and back, and after shaking that thing around and it's still up there, now I don't think about it. Right. The first thousand miles were pretty rough. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's so what the I, I heard you have air conditioning in there, which is great, and and mm-hmm. I presume you've got heating too. Did you yeah. re- retrofit the w- the windows so that they're uh, modern and energy efficient, or are they the traditional windows? Uh, they are the traditional windows, um, which you know can be a struggle in school bus conversions due to the heat loss. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I just have thicker curtains that are kind of act as an air dam. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, a curtain that goes across the front for winter that blocks out the cockpit area. So it kind of, you know, blocks out the whole front huge window that just pretty much sucks heat right out of the bus. Mm. Um, so, you know, I think that's just a part of lifestyle that people, you know, people maybe don't understand. A lot of questions I get online or, you know, how do you, how do you live in the winter? You know, how do you do this? How do you do that? Aren't you cold? And the truth is like, yeah, sometimes I am cold, but you know, that's a part of living in a school bus is, you know, I have to be more focused on maybe controlling my temperature than maybe you are in your traditional home. Um, you know, I have to think ahead and say, maybe I need thicker curtains to act as an air dam rather than just, you know, you know, some random curtains that are out there. Maybe some people replace their windows with RV windows to be more energy efficient. Um, but I think those are just considerations of the lifestyle that, you know, come along with choosing to live in a school bus. So what, what kind of heater system do you have in there? Uh, I have a propane heater uh, that's built into one of the cabinets that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have two um, electric heaters that are in the front and rear couch yeah, uh, that, run on, that run on the inverter. Okay. Michelle, is there, is there a way to... Um, I mean, there are a lot of windows. Is there, other than the front windshield, because you probably can't do that for Department of Transportation reasons, it, can you retrofit this, the side windows of a bus so that you've got like triple pane or double pane insulated windows in there? I've heard of people that do it, but I think mm-hmm. probably more, the more, the more simple or <laughs> the, the more, th- the, boy, I really sound dumb today. <laughs> more simpler <Most> way. Simple. <laughs> uh, people do like blackout curtain, like he was talking about either blackout curtains. Um, I find, for instance, in my tiny, even though I have double pane, um, I have cellular blinds, which add a tremendous amount um, of, you, you can mm-hmm. almost literally when you, well, especially it's been 25 degrees outside, yeah. you know, you open up the blind and you can almost feel the, the air coming through mm-hmm. the window. So I think by far most of them, the buses that I've seen, they just kind of make other accommodations like he have, but I have seen one in particular that did have the windows, um, redone. had it re yeah, had them all redone. But it's really super expensive. I would though, imagine it'd be really yeah, expensive. Yeah, because it's super, super, super expensive. And again, we're we're trying to be frugal and mm-hmm. we're trying to live a responsible, sustainable mm-hmm. life. And mm-hmm. and even again, even in my tiny, um, I have a fourteen thousand BTU propane heater. My floors are cold, but that's okay. Like you know, wear um, slippers. Exactly, whatever. exactly. So <laughs> it's not. That's what the, I do. Yeah, it's not the same. Feel, yeah, yeah, I'm cold once in a while. My bathroom is cold in the morning kind of a thing, but it's just something mm-hmm. you learn to deal with mm-hmm. and, and address the most uh, uh, realistic way that you can. It's interesting because the cabin that I built in, in, my, in the garage, is, um, it's on a cement 
slab. And so the cement slab has little one foot walls. And those things are like refrigerators. They just bring air right. air in. And <laughs> yeah. So everything under your knees is cold, even when the heater's on. It's exactly. like the heater's moving cold and hot air around. But it feels, it, it almost feels kind of like fresher air than it would be if the place was super tight, mm-hmm. I guess is what I'm... Yeah, like for instance, <clears throat> where I have on the inside of my house, my fen- your fenders um, protrude on the inside and I have fender covers mm-hmm. and the fender covers actually have um, rigid insulation inside of them as well. However, I did not seal them. I didn't mm-hmm. ch- caulk them or mm-hmm. even attach them. They're just kind of Floating. set up against mm-hmm. the wall. So that air movement actually, you know, any cold air or anything that's in, that, that is underneath of there because the on the other side of the fender is just a piece of metal, yeah. you know. Um, I was just commenting to Mark yesterday. I'm like, wow, it almost feels like there's a breeze. (laughs) You know, like it's 25 degrees outside. It is 70 degrees inside and you can almost feel that breeze. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, should I like caulk it? And he's like, no, it's fine. It doesn't, you know, like you said, it almost feels like, oh, we got some fresh air coming Mm -hmm. in. And and, uh, because the tiny spaces, of course, can get pretty stuffy pretty fast. Yeah, and it, I've heard that in the construction, and um, back me up here, Michelle, if I'm wrong, but in the construction of a tiny house, because tiny houses are cubic, square, cubic footage-wise so small relative to the number of windows they have, the windows often or can defeat the R value of the walls themselves. Very true in mine. Yeah. Very true. Oh, in, in your specific both one. Of, <clears throat> both of my tiny mm-hmm. houses. I have huge windows. I have a ton of windows, all the windows open. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very, very true. But again, I also have a, a sort of a beefy furnace at 14,000 BTU um, is, is pretty beefy. I can heat up that loft in about five minutes flat. Mm. So do some, do, and now I'm talking to Michael and you both, Michelle, do some, um, do some uh, schoolies put wood stoves in there? And what is the effectiveness of that? Michael? Yeah, there's, yeah, there's quite a few. Um, I know quite a few people who have wood stoves in there. I would like to put one in mine in the future. That's one of the things I want to add just as a more sustainable way of heating. Um, the propane is great. It, it's easy to get. It, it burns clean. Um, but I, I would like to get a wood fireplace in, in my bus. Uh, it, it heats. The buses that I've been in heats pretty well. Um, the only problem is the small stoves. Um, they tend to not burn throughout the night necessarily. Uh, so if you're in a really cold place, you're probably going to be getting up you know, in the night to kind of restoke it, um, unless you're kind of having it going pretty late when you're going to bed. But I mean, in terms of when they're going they the small stoves are pretty good that are out there on the market. Um, they have really low clearances. They work great in tiny spaces. Um, and I mean, I'm looking into it for, for next winter to add that into my school bus. So they can o- overcome the, the heat loss of the windows. Uh, in the buses that I have, if you insulate it, well, I mean, People always, you, to open the you know, think that's... You do. Oh, yeah. If you have yeah. a wood stove and a bus, you got to open windows. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you open... Yeah, in the back, they, they get... I, I mean, a lot of times they open them in the back, so it kind of creates uh, a bit of a, you know, a venting, mm-hmm. pulling the heat, hot air to the back of the bus. Um, I mean, those things really get cooking. Well, that's uh, the main disadvantage of wood stoves in tiny spaces of any kind is the lack of ability to control them thermostatically. Mm, so sure. when yeah. it really gets going, um, you're unapologetic about opening the windows <laughs> and letting the hot air out. I mean, <laughs> when he says it gets cooking in there, yeah. they, it, yeah, you cook everything. Wow. So, um, including the people. And we literally live in ovens. I mean, we're, we're in metal yeah. tubes. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Well, well, Michael, it's been a pleasure talking with you uh, and sharing your journey and um, your opportunity to live your dream. And uh, Tiny House uh, audience members, Tiny House podcast audience members, you've heard yet another episode of the Tiny House podcast where we've waxed philosophically about the <laughs> Tiny House movement. We use some big words. We, this episode Anthropologically, we sociological, and I use some Whoa. stupid ones too, <laughs> as usual. Well, tune in next week, next week, you guys, because we're going to have yet another interesting guy or gal or couple on the show talking about some other kind of tiny space that they're living in or tiny adventure or tiny approach to living and breaking down that bubble called the American dream. Maybe we should call this the show that breaking down the American dream. Breaking down, breaking bad. Breaking bad. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bye, you guys. Namaste. Be good. Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes, if we remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Main. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sightcast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, or whatever. You tiny house-loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> <laughs>